Hello, this is Clive Tempest speaking. Another episode of my podcast in which I seek to speak about the current conditions that we're living in of the whole human race, and particularly in this time of the pandemic. I'm speaking in July 2020. And I seek to... uh, draw your attention to how the bigger picture of events unfolding can be related to our individual lives and we can get instruction from that. Instruction in how to find more purpose in our own lives so that we can make a greater contribution through our own lives to what's happening globally. And the contribution we make is not political or social, economic, although of course we may be making any of those kinds of contribution. The contribution that we really make is towards the evolution of consciousness, our collective consciousness. We each have a unique contribution to make. If we identify that as our purpose, a unique contribution to make to the evolution of our consciousness. That's to say, the way in which intelligence acts through us to affect behaviour individually and the condition of humanity collectively. So that's always the the background or bigger picture of what I speak about. But let's come down to today. And what's the situation now? Well, we're getting used to living with the pandemic and curious little dilemmas arise. For example, the current fuss in England concerns the wearing of face masks, coverings over your mouth and nose, and when it's appropriate to wear such things, and when we can get away without wearing them. What's the need here? Well, some people will say the need is essentially to protect myself against breathing in the droplets that carry the virus. You know, the aerosol in the air where the virus uh, is transmitted. And other people would say, no, it's not that at all. It's to stop my uh, breath and the droplets from my breath spreading into the atmosphere in case I infect somebody else. So in this example... I can demonstrate the two broad camps that exist, the two constituencies that exist in our human condition between the givers and the takers. So do you see this, that there are two, broadly speaking, of course, two basic forms of behaviour that are open to any of us, and we naturally gravitate towards one or the other. 
There are natural givers and there are natural takers. So the, the givers would be the people who say, well, I'm wearing this mask going to the supermarket in case, in case I, I give my, the virus that I may have, that I'm unaware of, but I may have, and I guess I give that virus to somebody else. And then there are the takers who say, no, I'm wearing a mask because I don't want to take from you anything nasty. Thanks very much. Givers and takers. Now, no doubt, because of the way in which the human brain currently works, and because of the what I call the psychological age that we live in, which is basically a time in our history when we are preoccupied with ourselves and our own well-being and our own you know, uh, anxiety about that well-being either continuing or, or, or <laughs> deteriorating, that psychological age, because we live in that psychological age, we are likely, and you are likely listening to me, to see the terms giving and taking as having moral value. The givers are the goodies and the takers are the baddies. We are conditioned to see the whole of society as composed of goodies and baddies. We've inherited that from a previous age in our civilization, which I call the age of religion. In the evolution of consciousness, as I see it, and as I would ask you to see it if you can see it, is always towards the good, towards improvement of some sort. Now, in the religious age, the good was associated with God. So, Anybody associated God with God was a goodie. And, of course, there had to be a baddie. And we know all about the baddie in the world of Christian religion, don't we? Old Lucifer, a fallen angel. And, of course, there are forces of light and darkness and good and evil in all of the religions going back many thousands of years before Christianity. In the psychological age, which succeeds the religious age, the goodies and baddies have been associated with givers and takers. Now, it doesn't matter which you associate yourself with, a giver or a taker, there'll be some moral judgment that you've acquired out of the religious age and implanted in the psychological age as some sort of idea that you carry about yourself, some sort of identification that you have with your own behaviour, with your own needs. You see, we all have our needs and we all have our limitations. The giver, generally speaking, looks to the needs of others and the taker, generally speaking, looks to the needs of him or herself. The giver is, generally speaking, quite well aware of his or her limitation 
the takers are more aware of the limitation of others because they can't take so much from them they well, there's a limit to what they can take from others and the givers there's a limit to what they can give now you see this uh, dynamic of giving and taking is associated with recognizing our needs and our limitations now in the whole story of the evolution of consciousness one particular theme that I often address is the what I see as the connection or interdependence of the individual and the group. The connection between the individual and the group, the society, the family, the nation, the global community, that connection between what I am here in this body speaking now and my connection to you, the audience, whoever you are, is a, is a rather elastic connection and it changes according to the pressure that's put upon us psychologically. This is uh, part of the dynamic through which consciousness evolves. As the individual identifies as an individual and not as a member of the group, so a certain recognition of the uh, authority and integrity of uh, we could say it, the truth of the human being, becomes stronger and stronger and more and more real. But because we emerged from, as individuals, we emerge from the collective, there's a tension, tension between what I am and where I come from. Let's say I come from the family, you will all know that there's a tension between you as a mature adult individual and the family dynamic that you come in and out of or eventually leave. So there is also, of course, a tension between the individual and the society politically. And that tension is taken up in uh, democracy and what are what are my rights where are they where are my needs met in the society how are they limited what are the rules that we all need to obey and which rules can i break or test or challenge because they limit my freedom there's always this dynamic going on this dynamic is all part of the the way in which consciousness evolves. Because consciousness evolves depending upon our perception of this relationship. I become more conscious the more aware I am of the context in which I am. 
the bigger the picture, the finer the truth. One of my sayings. The bigger the picture, the finer the truth. Consciousness evolves as I, an intelligent being, see what I am in the context of where I came from. And I, the individual Earth being, become more conscious and more conscious the more I see myself as part of the intelligence that manages the cosmos, the whole cosmic dynamic of life and death. So it's said, of course, that we evolve in consciousness through human consciousness towards cosmic consciousness. The bigger the picture, the finer the truth, the more particular it is, the more real it is. So in the evolutionary process of building more consciousness on Earth, our relationship as an individual to the group, to the family, or first of all, say to the clan or the tribe, and then the family unit, and then you know, on a larger and larger scale, uh, the nation, the federation of nations, the global community, the more I am aware of the need to fit in and the need to escape from, the need to join and the need to detach from the community because it's in that dynamic that I get my individuation. It's in that dynamic that I discover myself. It's in that dynamic that I relate to the bigger picture. It's in that dynamic that I can see what I have in common with others and what I do not have in common with others. So let's go back to the immediate issue of the face mask business. What is my duty to the community here, as either a giver or a taker? Where are the limitations? It is a limitation to wear this thing on my face. It limits my breathing, for example. If I'm asthmatic, am I given the opportunity to not wear them when all my fellows in the street are all wearing theirs? How does this work? How do I navigate my way through society as an individual? How do I come to terms with the instructions of the society to me? Like, for example, wear a mask. What is this mask doing to my identity? How do I feel when I walk through the streets covering my face? What impact is that having on our social connection? Isn't it having 
the effect of distancing ourselves. Well, it's all part of the social distancing that's going on. Isn't it having the effect of distancing us and making us more aware of our individuality? Our uncertainty of, in how to, how to connect with the group, the environment or the social environment. Now, in living a more conscious life than, say, a psychological life, we have to find strategies for navigating our way through this increasingly convoluted relationship that we have as individuals with the group. And a good strategy for managing that connection. Do I fit in? Don't I fit in? How do I fit in here? How do, is it appropriate for me to fit in like that? Or how do, I, how do I act in this situation? Because everything's changing and I don't quite know where I stand. Mm, what's going on? A good tactic, strategy for managing that is to look to see what the situation requires. Rather than, what do I require of the situation? What does this situation require? Not, what do I require of the situation? Not, I'm not going to wear the mask in the street, but I'll wear it in the, in the train or the bus. Uh, if the situation requires me to wear it in the supermarket because it looks like everybody else is wearing them in the supermarket, okay, I'll put it on. But does the situation require me to wear it in the open air? Does the situation require me to wear it walking the dog on the hills? No. Do you get my point? We have to look to see what the situation requires. What is required by the situation? Not whether I feel so insecure that I'm going to wear my mask all the time, hide away from everybody, and hide away from the threat. Not that. But what does the situation actually require? And when you're in contact with people, what are their needs? What are their needs? So you go to the supermarket and you find that uh, the government has said you must wear a face mask in the supermarket. And you go in and find the shop staff are not wearing them. Hmm. Well, of course, their needs are different. They have to communicate with each other. And they're aware of all the hygienic, sanitising protocols that they've been practising all day. Their needs are different from my needs. I have to see the need of the person. If I see the need of the person, then the probability is I'm also going to see what the limitation is that is placed upon them and defines their need. 
And so it is in any situation where, where the individual is in contact with the group, when that, that dynamic of what I am and where I come from is in play. I can say to myself, if I'm confused or uncertain, what's the need here? What's the person's need? And if I'm a giver, I'll, I'll give to that need. If I'm a taker, I'll look at my own need and see how it can best be supplied in the situation by other people. And the need is defined by the limitation of the situation because it's unintelligent, obviously, to need something that can't be provided. So you, you look to see what's possible and you look to see what the need of the situation is or the need of the other person is and you act accordingly. If you're a taker, you look to the need of the situation, see what's possible for you to take. Now, as I think I said earlier, the balance of giving and taking in the psychological age is distorted by our judgment of ourselves and others. We judge people according to whether we think they're givers or takers. And because we've inherited the idea that they the giver is the goody and the taker is the baddie. We allow our perception of, the, of those individuals' limitations, we allow that to form as a judgment in us, a judgment of them. So our most common way of negotiating this, navigating this uh, interaction between us is through judgment. Subtle, subtle judgments about whether our needs are being met as opposed to their needs are being met. And we like to judge people very subtly on the basis of whether we feel that our needs are being met or not. That's the stuff of the psychological life. Now, if we were to be more conscious about this and look to the bigger picture, we would see very obviously that there cannot be a taker without a giver. And there cannot be a giver without a taker. We would see that in the bigger picture of things, the act of giving allows for taking, and the act of taking allows for giving. And in the moment of seeing that, the need to judge the other person because of their limitations disappears. And in place of judgment, what arises? Well, what arises is the energy that always connects the individual consciously with the other, with the community, with the society, with the other individual.
And what most connects us? Love. In the absence of judgment, there is more love. And love is a frequency of consciousness. There is more consciousness. It is all part of the amazing story of the way in which consciousness evolves in us. So we can make a contribution to that evolutionary process, each of us individually, by recognising our need and our limitation. I know my limitations. I know what I can and can't do. You probably know yours if you're willing to admit to them. Without shame or guilt. You know your need in the moment. I need a new pair of shoes or whatever it is. I'm hungry, I need a meal. You know what your need is in the moment. And whether it happens that you're predisposed to giving or taking, and you, you get rid of the moral judgment about being a goodie or a baddie, and don't consider yourself to be either goodie or baddie, just consider yourself to be the individual, the intelligence in a, a this body with all its limitations, but able to make a contribution to the whole, by living as what I am in this body, in this situation, facing it just as it is, here and now, and living like that, your needs no longer become problematic. They are either met or they're not met. Generally speaking, your needs are met. If you don't, need more than you really need. Generally speaking, your limitations or weaknesses become strengths. Knowing your limitation means that you are strong enough to be able to face the world without shame, without guilt, and to be able to act as you do within those limitations and therefore make a more defined and Productive contribution. You're not going to waste your energy if you know your limitations. So by looking to the situation, by recognising the need of others, by recognising the limitations that define those needs, there's the possibility that you will see the bigger picture of your life and be more compassionate, be more humble, be more available, be more willing, be more giving. Even if you are predisposed to be a taker rather than a, than a giver, even if you're more predisposed to be a giver than a taker, you can see that your function is fulfilling. It's fulfilling a greater purpose. You know, I know in my past experience, and I'm, I'm sure that you'll recognise this either in yourself or someone you know, 
There have been many opportunities for giving more than was needed. Have you not given more than was needed because actually you had a need to give? I remember I was uh, parking my car one day in a car park that was adjacent to a, a church and the, it was a public car park and you have to pay for the parking with a ticket. And a lovely, obviously Christian lady came up to the car window and said, would you like my ticket? I'm not, I've not used, not used all the time on it. So I said, yes, thank you. In the spirit of Christian giving and being generous, helping out, helping others, she had given me a ticket. And about three weeks later, the council sent me a bill of £60 for, for parking illegally in that place because the ticket she had given me was for a different car park. This is what happens. We give and give because we have a need to give. Well, that's not really recognising the limitations that define the need. We are giving in order to give, rather than giving in order to supply the need, the real need. How easy it is to just give money to good causes and then forget about it if you've got plenty of money. Much harder to give the money if you haven't got very much. Much more genuine, isn't it? And taking. Now, what I now realise is that A great act of giving is to be able to take. For example, to take another's discomfort, to take another's distress, to take another's pain. Not because I need it, but because they have stopped needing it. And they can give it. As it's no use to me, it doesn't pain me or trouble me. It has no purpose in my life. It only had a purpose in their lives while they considered themselves to be needy. At the moment, they no longer needed their pain. It could be given away. Taking is like having the ability to listen rather than speak. How many times have you spoken when it would be better to have just listened? That you could have, in fact, have stopped being such a giver of your own opinions and how much you had to say about the problem, whatever the problem is. Oh, so much to say. Could you have stopped speaking and just listened and taken in what the other person has to say, to actually listen to it, to really listen to it, and not just wait until they've stopped talking so that you can continue your own internal monologue. 
Does that, is, does, do you do that? Well, most people do. Most people aren't capable of listening, really listening and taking it in because they don't feel it's their need. This has nothing to do with me, really. Well, I'm only here to, to tell my story. I don't need to hear their story except just for the convenience of, of, the, of the situation. I've got to tolerate listening. I've got to tolerate it while they keep talking. No, I'll, I'd, I'd rather be looking at my phone, checking on Facebook. But, oh well, they're going on and on and on. I'd better look as if I'm listening. Now, what was it I wanted to say? Ah, oh, there's a pause. Okay, now I can get back to what I want to say. This goes on, doesn't it? Because you want to give, but you're not willing to take. You're not willing to listen. Not willing to receive. We're so psychologically, so stuffed up with self-importance and if it's not self-importance, it's self-doubt. And our brains are so busy and noisy with the ch- talking to ourselves, screaming at ourselves, whispering to ourselves, laughing with ourselves. All that noise. But if you have a quiet brain... And you can listen. You can see the need. See what the situation requires. Not impose on it. And in that way, make your contribution to the movement of life. Not hold it up because of your preoccupation with yourself. But giving yourself to it passionately, to the movement of life. Taking what life has to give and then passing it on, passing it back to life, giving and taking in equal measure, so that there's a harmony between the speaking and the listening, between the giving and the taking. And if the entire global community we're able to manage this so that they, every individual was only giving as much as was, was required and only taking as much as was required. Oh, what a different world it would be. So we each have an individual part to play in this, to bring about the new. Let's look more closely of what the needs are of the others, of the situation. Let's recognise what the limitations are of the others and the situation. And let's give and take in equal measure. Act rightly, appropriately, in the knowledge that our lives are serving a greater purpose than, f- than our own and the satisfaction of our own needs.
So, need I say more? No. Ah, but I do need to say more, and I trust it will serve your need. Because I have to tell you about something that's very important in understanding that in moving on from the psychological life to living more consciously, we have to persuade the brain, our brains, to cooperate. They will continue being noisy until we quieten them. We will continue being psychological and reactive until we convince the brain to listen to our intelligence. Because at the moment, it doesn't listen to the intelligence in us all the time. It listens to the intelligence of others. And they've all got their psychological stories to tell, which we believe in, of course. So we have to train the brain or reconfigure the neurological circuits to break the habit of living a psychological life. Now, that does, that's not sinister, training the brain. This is not some, you know, <laughs> sinister project. Training the brain means, from my point of view, encouraging your own intelligence to come through so that your brain responds to your intelligence more than it responds to the noise and clutter of psychological life, your own and that of others. So how do we do this? Well, it takes time. It takes a lot of time and dedication. And you need regular a regular input of a reflective intelligence, which is what I aim to offer you. My intelligence speaking to your intelligence. Over a period of time. So I'm now offering the opportunity for you to listen to me on a regular basis for rather longer, about an hour and a half every fortnight, every two weeks. I have put together an audio program of streamed talks that I gave to a small group of people in England a couple of years ago. There are 19 episodes in this audio program and you listen to them over the course of a year. It's a streaming service. The talks are accessed through your computer, your tablet or your phone. And all the details are available to you on a website called thecourseinconsciousliving.com. Thecourseinconsciousliving.com. You can read all about it there. And I trust that if you subscribe, the course will help you not only to serve your own need, but to serve the greater need which I see as the contribution that you can make 
all of us by participating in this next wave of the evolution of consciousness as I see it, escaping largely from the psychological life to living a more conscious one. That's the task ahead of us. And if you are one of the people who are pioneering this evolutionary process, then I suggest this course is for you. So that's the advert for the course in consciousliving.com. And I welcome you back to the next podcast, whenever that is. Thank you.